Welcome back to Song Rex with Lauren. I am your host, Yara Tomlinson, and it has been, I'd say, about a month since the last episode. I don't want to make excuses every time that I don't post, so we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to say that there is finally new music, new full-length projects that have come out within the last week um so my absence isn't or wasn't really met with much delay i suppose or backup in terms of what has been released uh yeah i feel like new things have come out pretty recently that i've been into i've singles, full-length projects, um, let's just get into it there. Today we're going to be talking about, um, one, two, three, four singles newly released and two albums, and two albums, um, and my favorites from those two, um, newly released projects. Uh, so the first song is Motivation by Normani. Okay, that was a snippet from Normani's Motivation. Um, if you did not know this already, Normani was a part of the girl group Fifth Harmony uh, with alongside Camila Cabello, Lauren Haregi, Dinah Jane, and Ali Hernandez. Um, and since the group split off in 2017, they have all released solo music, including Normani. This is her first solo project. All of her other things she's had features on or been a feature on, um, such as Love Lies with Khalid and Waves featuring Black. Um, but this is her her own song, music video, style, everything, and it's just such a moment. Like, when I watched this music video for the first time, it felt like I was witnessing history being made. It was so groundbreaking for a woman of her talent and skin tone to be a prominent featured pop artist and not like an r&b pop like pop artist and yes we've had beyonce and rihanna but it's not there's something to be said of when women of a dark skin tone get this level of push like either normally they're like members of a group or or they're more so in the R&B soul lane, but this is the first, I will say, of a dark-skinned artist being pushed pop-wise. I feel like Whitney was also in that vein, but not in the same sense of pop that like a Beyonce or a Britney or a Madonna is, if that makes any sense, but... Um, let's just break down the music video very quickly. The intro essentially showed young Normani watching 106 in Park on BET, which was a TV show 
on the Black Entertainment Television channel that um, covered music and music videos, like a top 10 like video countdown style show. Um, I used to watch it, I feel like I kind of got into it in middle school, like I'd come home from school and I'd watch that sometimes. It was like, it's essentially TRL, um, Total Request Live, but like more hip-hop, R&B music, essentially. Um, so it was essentially like her young self was watching her own music video premiere on BET, which I found to be nostalgic. Um, the choreography was amazing. The references in the video to Beyonce were crazy. Um, I think she also references Britney Spears and Kelly Rowland's own song motivation. I feel like she threw down the gauntlet. Like this song went above and beyond any expectation I had for it. And, or not even, more so the music video than the song itself. Because I feel like, yeah, the chorus is catchy, but I don't really remember too many of the verses. But it's catchy enough, and the music video is so well done that I will just keep watching it and therefore the song will get stuck in my head she is by far the best dancer that was in the group and clearly chose to showcase that with the choreography here and the partner work the gymnastics well i don't think she did those backflips on the basketball in the basketball court scene but um but she does her own gymnastics throughout the video that is very impressive, to say the least, and I feel like all of them just need to step up their game at this point. Like, I, out of, like, all the members of the group, by far I've liked Normani and Lauren's music the most, and this visual just, like, surpassed anything any of them has done so far. So, I feel like it's, this is also not just a challenge to the other members of the group, but to everybody else. The pop, R&B, like, vocalist sphere to just step up the game. Like, if this song came out earlier, I feel like it would be no contest as to who has summer eh, song of the summer right now, but this came out in August, but I feel like this definitely has me anticipating her debut even more than before. Um, I'm excited to see what she does next. I definitely feel like this is a song of... I definitely feel like this is a song of the summer contender even though it's late in the game. Um, but summer isn't technically over till like end of September, I think, or Labor Day, I don't know. And I'm excited to see her performance, her first live performance of this song at the VMAs today. Um, so hopefully in next weeks or whenever the next episode is, I'll be covering VMA performances. Um, and this 
will certainly hopefully be at the top of my list. Alright, next song that was a little tidbit from Nikki, an artist out of 88 Rising. The song is titled Indigo. Um, this song takes a second to get going, but by the chorus, I was completely down for it. I love the breaths she takes in between each word at the beginning of the chorus, like as far as the indigo as far as the indica goes it's like and it follows the melody of the instrumental very well and it does that thing with your tongue or i don't know it makes it go up and down in a certain way i've explained this before but i like i like that aspect of the song um yeah cool cool song not too in your face but great first impressions because I never heard of this artist before and the music video is definitely interesting like she I guess she invites men over and poisons them or hypnotizes them with this drink and they become her slaves or like butler slaves interesting interesting concept uh cool moving on next up we have Teeth by Five Seconds of Summer, aka Five Sauce. Uh, the this is the Australian rock, not rock. What did I just say? Rock, <laughs> rock, pop, punk, kind of band from Australia. You might have heard their song from their first album back in 2014. She looks so perfect. How's that go? It's like, she looks so Yeah, I feel like that was one of those songs on Teenic that they would play at like 7am, like right before I left to catch the bus. Anyway, they have grown immensely since um, 2014. They've released three albums, um, their debut in 2014, their second in 2016, and then they took a bit of a break and released their third album, Youngblood, last year. Um, the title track was very popular, especially amongst the Dancing with the Stars-esque television shows. Very fitting. Um, but anyway... I have not listened to their third album, but I feel like after listening to this song and the next song that I'm going to talk about, I feel like I should listen to their last album, because this is much different than their previous efforts. This is so creepy of a song. I mean, it's still pop rock, pop punk, if you will. Or pop rock. I feel like this is very Fallout Boy-esque. I could see hear the lead singer of Fall Out Boy doing this chorus. Um, the lead singer, lead vocals is Luke Hemmings. Um, also, the other members of the band, uh, lead guitarist Michael Clifford, bass Callum Hood, drums Ashton Irwin. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, this is very Fall Out Boy inspired. So I guess if, yeah, so... Yeah, pop rock is essentially just like Fall Out Boy. I wouldn't say they're like Coldplay. I feel like 
the lead singer looks like the lead guy from Coldplay in some regards. But anyway, back to the song. Um, yeah, really creepy, very um melodramatic. As if like the love of your life is the devil or something like something along those lines. There's a lot of um there's this Stranger Things music in the background that you first pick up on that I'm just like, oh my god. Yes, we all love Stranger Things, and we all and I love 80s synth piano, but is it always necessary? Like, maybe, maybe. I liked it in this case. Um, yeah, so this really got me excited, because this song and music video was released five days ago, and that led me to listen to the next song that was released a few months ago, and it's called Easier. And that was Easier, the second song off of the projected fourth album from Five Seconds of Summer. Um, yeah, this one is very interesting. It's The music videos for both of these are, the word I was looking for, just darker than the stuff that I previously know them for. I feel like their debut singles we're like, yeah, they were punk-esque, but it's like, we're trying to be edgy, but we're still appropriate for teens. But now I feel like they're actually edgy, and they're a lot more mature in their edginess and subject matter and music and visuals and everything. Um, I also never realized how attractive all the members were until now. I just, maybe I just didn't get it, like, when they were all with the different colored hair and hot topic vibes but now this makes sense now that they're they've grown into themselves like i get it um this song features background vocals by charlie puth and i could not shake it for the life of me the first time i heard the song i'm like is charlie puth charlie puth isn't on this song or he should be or is he like i was so thrown and when I went to Genius, it, like, gave him, like, he has songwriting credit and background vocal credit. And I think he plays the keyboard on this song, too, so that's cool. Um, I know Charlie released this song also recently, and, yeah, it was okay, but, uh, Charlie always has a song about, like, dating the wrong girl, and I guess this song is also, has similar themes of being attractive to very beautiful women that somehow get them in a bind, um, essentially. So, yeah, both have themes, similar themes of, like, repeating mistakes in relationships or falling for the same type of person, but staying with them because of how, like, beautiful they happen to be. Um... As far as pop rock is concerned, I feel like this just has a unique sound that I have not heard before. It's very unique to them and kind of caught me off guard. Like, so much so that I was just like, I don't believe this is a Five Seconds of Summer song. Like, they're, like if you told, like, if I did not know, like, who the band was and you just had me listen to the song, I would not have guessed Five Seconds of Summer. Like, not even close. I don't even think it would have been, like, my top five guesses. I probably would have guessed Charlie Puth, but, yeah, I would not have guessed Five Sauce. Like, that's 
insane. So, based off of these two songs, I'm absolutely gonna listen to this fourth album that they have coming out. Like, this is insane. The... Like, you can... You never know what an artist is gonna do next. You just don't know. I'm glad that they all have, like, stuck together through this. I know that a lot of... I guess the difference between them and, let's say, like, a One Direction or a Fifth Harmony, if you will, is that they are banned in that sense, and they are a unit. Like, you can't separate one from the other, you know? Whereas when you're in, like, a girl group or a boy band that it's not about instruments, but it's more so about just vocals and choreography and everybody kind of contributes similar things to the group. I mean, not everything. Like, obviously, like, maybe some people have lead vocals on certain songs or, like, some people sing, like, soprano and some do alto or some people do, like, background and or there are people who are better dancers in the group than others, etc. Whereas... And especially since both of the groups that I did mention before were kind of placed together after, after like, yeah, both One Direction and Fifth Harmony were, like, formed by Simon Cowell on The X Factor in that all of them auditioned separately as solo artists and then were brought together to be in a group for the show and then their followed success after the show obviously um whereas this band i believe met and formed before like they were famous like most bands do like they were friends or like they like you know met each other through the internet etc and like i think they did covers on youtube and they later like got signed and like went on tour with one direction etc and they are a band they each contribute like they each have their own role to play and that role is always consistent, you know, like, like, they each have their instrument, and they all do vocals, but, like, there's one person who does lead vocals, and I feel like there isn't as much overlap or, like, stepping on each other's toes when it comes to those things, you know, like, obviously there's going to be disagreement within a group or a band, but I feel like for this group in particular they stuck together for so long or for as long as they have because they formed organically and also have kind of their respective roles yeah yeah so yeah whatever this next five seconds of summer project is i'm interested i want to know when it's happening i want to see more music I want to see more music videos, definitely. I, who's directing their music videos now? Is it the same person? Because they all have kind of a similar tone. And the music video would be e easier. There was a lot of... I feel like there was a lot of, like, Jesus on the Cross references. Sort of. Maybe. I don't know. And there was a lot of water. <laughs> and them underwater. I feel like it must have been cold filming that. Like They were all in this, like, tank water. It looked black. It was weird. But very um yeah different unique into it into it into it okay time to move on to albums the first album is the highly anticipated lover by taylor swift 
I feel like this is the only album that had a set date for release in summer from, I don't know, like, April, May, that has been, that was actually consistent with the release date. Um, I appreciate that, Taylor and her team. So, yeah, because of that, so many people listen to this. This is definitely going to be number one, without a doubt. Um, I think already a million pe- a million copies have been sold. I don't even know. Uh, that's speculation. I'm not sure about that. But I think the album at least has over a million streams, definitely. Uh, what else? What What'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say about this album? 18 songs, just over an hour. Um... But it doesn't feel like an hour. It goes by pretty quickly. Uh, I liked a lot of it. A lot of 80s pop inspired moments, which I was not expecting, but pleasantly surprised. It reminded me quite a bit of Carly Rae Jepsen. Uh, there were several songs that I'm like, okay, I could 1000% hear Carly Rae Jepsen singing this. And I needed for a moment to like remove any previous notions or feelings or ang- not even anger but like whatever I previously felt about Taylor Swift just out of this and just was like if I didn't know who was singing the song or if Carly Rae Jepsen was singing this song would I like it and the answer to that question was yes every single time so let's see there were several songs I thought Sounded like CRJ. Let's see, there's Cruel Summer, The Man, The Archer. Um, so that's three. Uh, Cornelia Street, four. And Afterglow, five. So five out of the 18 were, I guess you could say like 80s pop-ish. Um, or at least 80s, like modern, 80s pop with a modern flair that like Carly Rae Jepsen would do. There were other songs on here that kind of did a little bit of synth, like False God, but I wouldn't, I couldn't hear Carly on that, so that didn't um, count. But speaking of False God, that is my favorite song on the album, and we will listen to it right now. Okay, so that was False God. I loved this song from the first note. Like, out of the gate, I knew I was gonna love it. This is such a pivot for her that was kind of out of not out of nowhere but just so well executed like it's soft it's a slower song it's part of like the cool down towards the end of the album what what is this this is track 13 on the album so i don't know like everything about it is just so different that i would not have ever expected her in a million years to go in this direction but i'm glad she did it shows her growth and maturity as an artist as a 29 year old as a woman like i don't i don't know what got into her but this song is great if there were more of these on the album or if the next album was full of this smooth jazz saxophone taylor swift like i would be here for it like 100 percent um the lyrics lyrically she's always good like lyrically she's always great she knows how to put pen to paper. Anything she writes is uniquely her and is so descriptive and storytelling based that 
sometimes it can sound like she's writing in a diary, but other times I, like, I, I get where she's going, and, like, no one else could put phrases together quite like she does. Yeah, because sometimes when you hear a song, it's kind of like a pick by, or not pick by number, color by numbers in terms of what words are used and it feels like they kind of just jumbled up like the 100 most popular words in songs and placed them and pieced them together sometimes but Taylor always delivers lyrically and the lyrics here you like it's weird the song lyrically feels very country but the production is straight up smooth jazz like, you'd hear this in a lounge, or almost, like, elevator music, but, like, great elevator music. I don't want to call it elevator It's, like, it's way better than elevator music, but it's, like, that soft kind of, it could put you to sleep jazz, but it's also romantic in a sort of way. Like, romantic and sexy, which is, like, a deviation for Taylor. Like, I feel like Taylor always appeals to a younger demo, just because a lot of her pop and country music is so sing-songy that it can come off slightly immature and there are those moments in the album which I don't love like there are a few songs that are like way too cutesy for me I'm like I don't know I feel like at this point this is her ninth album I think is this her ninth album I don't know well um, but whatever number this is, this is, oh no, this is her seventh album. Okay, seventh. But still, that's a, that's a lot of albums. And as such, you would think that she would grow out of more, you know, like, yeah, like, we, like, I feel like she knows she can write a catchy, like, pop, cute song that could play at a... Forever 21, and it'll sell millions, but I feel like False God pushes her to a point where she can deviate from the pop formula that she has so well, that, I don't know, she can deviate from the pop formula that she has so well executed multiple times over the years. And she can switch it up and experiment. And, oh, this is also her first album that, like, she owns all the rights, masters, etc. to. If you are unaware of the... I don't know if I talk about this on the podcast, but I guess she was trying to get out of her... Or she had previously tried to get out of her contract, or her record label was sold to... Or was bought by Scooter Braun who um, manages, like, Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, etc. I guess they don't have the best relationship, and Taylor was in the midst of negotiating a deal to, like, either buy her masters from her, from her, like, smaller label, and, I don't know. The whole industry thing gets very confusing, but, but long story short, she does not own any of her first six albums. Like, she has songwriting 
credit, but, like, let's say, like, publishing and licensing and, like, the right to, like, distribute and make money off of the this collection in the future, like, is not hers. It's her labels or manager, whoever, whoever. Some other person owns those in-paper rights, whereas she definitely, like, wrote and contributed to these songs, like, a majority of these songs on her first six efforts, so much so that, like, people would think, like, why wouldn't she own these things? But, like, the industry is a slimy industry, and she definitely signed, like, really young. Like, I think she was, like, 13 when she got signed, so you're that young and you're signing things and you don't know how big you could be by the time you're 29. It's kind of hard to negotiate, and you don't... I mean, I guess now with the internet and just artists being more vocal about their legal situations, it will hopefully influence how new artists go into these meetings but it's it's a crapshoot with some of these things but um anyway false god is my favorite song on the album and we will now talk about my second favorite song on the album the man okay that was the man i was so surprised by this song um the electronic production was um surprising but i guess not too surprising given how um given how pop the production was on her last album reputation went um but i feel like this i feel like reputation kind of like veered very far left and i feel like we're kind of bringing it back a little bit to a place where it's still tailored but it's fun um yeah, I wish, like, the breakdown after, like, the chorus kind of stops was longer, like, so you could dance to it, that was, like, I would body roll to that all day, like, that moment in the song, like, I felt it, like, in my core being, like, I don't know how else to explain it, um, and this would also be a very fun music video, especially given the subject matter, like, I could see her maybe in, like, a bad liar by selena gomez type thing where she plays multiple characters both like women and men and like does all the things that she lists off in the song both as a woman and a man and like you see the juxtaposition and the and the hypocrisy um between both um the 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 theme the message the message of the song was like pretty straight forward it's like if a pretty like base concept of feminism just that men can get away with certain things and be called and given a set of attributes but if women did the same exact act perform the same exact actions they would be described differently like a man can have multiple sexual relationships with women or just relationships in general they don't have to be sexual but but let's just say they could have multiple partners and not be judged or it be praised. Whereas if a woman did that, like she'd be ridiculed or called a slut or etc. Um, or in Taylor's case, 
um, be told that, oh, she dates too many people, she just dates to write songs about them, whereas male musicians have done that since forever. They've always written songs about women, or whoever they're in love with, and not faced similar ridicule. Um, also, I guess, in terms of just success and money and making power moves, quote-unquote, men are... Well, one, men are just placed at a higher level or just at a... At a they they receive more privilege just because they are a man and can... Uh, I think I'm getting too deep with this. This is a very surface-level, like, white feminism approach to this concept. Like, the roles can only be reversed this easily if you're assuming that they are white women, and then they, if they were then white men and performed these actions, they would receive praise. Whereas... I feel like the same doesn't exactly fit for people of color. And yeah, so the intersectionality of the song I question, but I feel like the intentions were pure, so I will let this slide. Um, yeah, and I feel like this song is very playful. It's playful, but still sends a message, and it's not... I don't know. Sometimes when Taylor tries to be playful, it gets into this kids bop cheerleader territory that I'm just, it turns me off and I don't like it. But this, there's a balance and I like that. Um, let's just have Taylor take maybe a 200 level women's studies course and then we can, we can talk again about this topic. But um, yes, great, great effort. And I do like this song a lot. Okay, we are almost wrapping up. The last album we are talking about today is Brockhampton's fifth? Yeah, I think fifth studio album, Ginger. Or no, it's not even- is it their sixth studio album? Because, okay, there's the Saturation series, that's three albums. And then they had Iridescence after that, so that's four. But then before Saturation... Did they have one or two albums before Saturation? I know at least of one. Like it was it was an American Boy. That was Kevin Abstract's album. Uh I don't know. I don't know what number album this is. This is either This is either the This is either the sixth or seventh album. I'm not sure. Um either way, uh it's Ginger and there are two songs I want to talk about, um, the album as a whole, I, I liked it up until maybe like halfway through, or a little over halfway through, I think there are 12 songs total, and by track, I think six or seven, I was like, eh, I don't know, I don't know how I feel, like there, like once we get to the songs that have a lot of distortion, I'm kind of like, okay, this is too too much. I like what they're doing right now in terms of, not that everything's like subdued, but I think they still play with the instrumentation and the distortion, but at a much lower volume, and it's not as in your face as in the Saturation series, and they do a lot more 
R&B, a lot more harmonies, a lot more singing without the auto-tune, or at least the auto-tune not being messed up, messed around with so much that I can't tell, like, what the vocals are, um, yeah, and then both of the following tracks, we'll see some examples of that, and the first one is Sugar. Okay, that was Sugar. Um, I don't remember if I explained this already, but, um, Rockhampton is a rap collective, self-proclaimed, self-named boy band. I've mentioned them in previous episodes. Anyway, um, this is a beautiful song, Lovely Harmonies. The, the theme for both the Brockhampton and the Taylor Swift album, or at least the key word for me is just growth, and maybe growth, either growth, you know, both growth and maturity. Just the, like, you could still feel the, and hear the, the talent, just like the with Taylor, just the songwriting ability, and then Brockhampton, the, pro- the out-of-this-world production, but used so skillfully and in a way, and masterfully, that it shows how many years they've been working on this and working towards this. Like, listening to this album, I guess you could view the Saturation Projects as immature, even though I love those albums. Um, I could see how some fans could be disappointed in the departure from the loud, like, in-your-face, mosh, scream rapping to this more subdued R&B, like, even slightly, like, pop boy band melody that we get in many of the tracks on Ginger, um, but I also think the music lovers will appreciate how the production, sound, and quality has been matched, if not improved, since Saturation, and I think I need to go back and listen to their previous album, Iridescence, because I feel like, I know I listened to it, I for sure listened to it, but I don't remember, like, I can't, I could not tell you one song off of that album right now, so I have to listen to it, because I feel like that album is important to understanding the transition from how we got from saturation to here, and, yeah, 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 that's all I have to say. Let's listen to Dearly Departed next. Okay, that was Dearly Departed by Brock Hampton. Um, this is the last song we will be covering today, and... Uh, We're ending on a somber note, but it's so powerful and vulnerable and poetic and cinematic, operatic. Like, I don't... This is a masterpiece of a song. Like, I never knew a song could be like this and make me feel so many emotions at once. Dom's verse at the end was so powerful and... I only recently learned what it was regarding, or at least what some of it was regarding, 
Um, I mean, I don't even think, like, even if you have no clue what he's talking about, you under, you hear the pain and the anger and everything just so raw behind it. And they, the fact that they included just him, like, just, like, throwing down the microphone at the end and leaving the studio and you hear the studio door close with all of this electric guitar and other production going on. It's just so insane to me. Like, it's so jaw-dropping that, like, every time I listen to it, I just hear something else in the song. I'm just like, wow. Like, who did this? This is amazing. Um, Growth, again, is shown in this song, because this electric guitar, we've heard, or at least I've heard, a million times on the Brockhampton song. Like, they love uh, electric guitar solo. They, it's just a staple in the group, uh, sonically. And But here, I feel like it's used... In not a subdued, like a subtle way. There's subtlety to it. I mean, obviously it's at the forefront instrumentation wise, but usually this electric guitar is accompanied by like a million other things that are layered throughout the production, so much so that you wouldn't even pick up on the electric guitar or it wouldn't have the same impact as it does here because there isn't as much in the back besides the guitar and the it's not just the guitar but I can't I can't I don't know the song leaves me in like a weird fuzzy place like after I listen to it so I just like it makes you like forget everything else that I've ever listened to in some ways and probably for that reason it's good that we ended the podcast on this song because yeah I can't like I can't think straight after listening to it it's so that's so bizarre um yeah, just listen to the song. Listen to it and I think you'll understand what I mean. And if you don't feel the same way, then... I don't know. I don't know. We can't be friends anymore, basically. That's not true. But... I don't know why this song just impacts me so much. It's crazy. Sean C. called this like his top three Brockhampton songs of all time. I mean, I don't know about... I don't know about that, but like this is... This was such a standout from the rest of the album. Like, it felt like... The song felt so... It didn't feel long, but... It felt like an eternity had gone by by the time I finished listening to it. And we heard the next song. And I'm like, wait, was that like three songs or one song? Or I loved all of it, but I just have no clue... Like, where t- where time and space went after listening to it. It was so... I was so mesmerized. Um, but yeah, that's going to conclude this week's episode... Um, yeah, hopefully, I want to, I don't know, I don't know scheduling-wise what's going to happen, but I know the, I know a future episode will include, like, what happened at the VMAs, if anything interesting does happen, hopefully, um, I don't want to watch, like, three hours of television for nothing, but also, um, yeah, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what's coming out next. I feel like the 1975 
probably is going to release soon. We I still haven't heard anything about Janae Aiko or Big Sean. I think Lauren, her Aggie's album's being pushed to 2020, fine. Um, also, apparently Peter is going to be The Bachelor. That sucks. Um, it's not going to be Mike, according to Reality Steve. Very unfortunate, ABC. Very unfortunate. So I will not be watching if it is confirmed that Peter is The Bachelor. I think I'm going to have to stop watching the franchise at this point. Like, I got into it because of Rachel Lindsay, the first Black Bachelorette, and now, like, we're not getting our first Black Bachelor. Like, I don't understand. I do not understand. Like, I did all the things. I tweeted. I followed him on Instagram. I did everything right. <laughs> like, why isn't he The Bachelor? Like, Peter? Like, Peter? Peter's so boring. Ugh. I don't know. I feel like everyone did their part in the franchise in, both in not even no everyone outside of the franchise who is a fan or like reports on the franchise or has a podcast like did their part in saying and vocalizing who they wanted to be bachelor and then they go and pick someone else like i don't understand like colton made sense colton entertainment-wise made sense. I feel like Peter is just going to be another boring season. Like, do we want another boring season? Do we want another Ari? Like, I don't think we want that. Like, I don't... I don't know. I don't know what they want. Like, we get... I feel like we get a good season, and then we get a good run, like, Bachelor, Bachelorette-wise, and then we get two boring back-to-back people, and then we get a good one again. Like, am I going to have to wait every, like, two to three years before I can watch this show again? It's like, I like the show, but if the show does not want to progress and keep up with the times, then it's like, I'm not going, like, I'm not going to watch it. I'm just not. I'm not interested in <laughs> seeing this pilot fall in love. They already had a pilot, and that pilot was, like, a a-hole, apparently. So... Not saying all pilots are a-holes, but I don't know. I don't think Peter would make that great of a season. Like, we have no evidence of that. At least Hannah, we knew she'd be interesting and quote-unquote quirky, and she was. She delivered that 110% to anybody who said she wouldn't be able to talk. Well, she talked a lot, and a lot of what she had to say, like, especially towards the end, growth and maturity there 100% I mean I would like to see leads who are older so again Mike would have fit that he's 31 I feel like yeah we needed yes we needed a return to form in maybe the age of the lead and the contestants but not this white bread like upper middle class background return to form like we've had 20 seasons of that 20 they need to get over themselves like i don't know what it is some people are saying that it's possibly due to the bachelor in paradise storyline the lgbtq storyline with demi and christian that it's like too much for the franchise to take on both that and having their first black bachelor but i feel like they could they could do that. Like, I don't think they'd be alienating that much of their audience by doing so. Or maybe I'm just in, like, my, my liberal, like, 
bubble what is it called vortex what is it called like what you only follow like people with the same viewpoint of you on twitter and facebook i don't know but maybe i'm only hearing from people who share similar ideas to me and therefore i thought people were like all for mike when in reality that was not the case and he said in, on multiple interviews that he was not approached whatsoever by producers about being the bachelor and i guess he was telling the truth and that is very sad that no one even asked him at all i mean i guess in some ways i'm glad not glad that they didn't but i'm glad at least for his sake that they didn't get his hopes up in the event that he could have potentially been the bachelor and then like not gotten it like i would have hated that for him but yeah even mike was saying like oh they're probably just gonna pick peter well i mean not in that way but when asked like who do you think should be the bachelor he'd say peter and i'm like okay clearly in retrospect mike knew when everyone else didn't know and was rooting for him Maybe, maybe in a season or two, I mean, it's even less likely in two seasons that they pick him, you know? He'd probably find somebody else by then. He's like, he's great. Like, I don't get why he's single. Uh, this is so sad. I don't know. I don't know. Like, if, I don't even know. Like, they probably, they start filming soon, so. They start filming in September, so, like, I don't, there's no, like, changing this. Like, I don't know, like, what we can do as fans to, like, make them change their minds. Like, maybe, maybe if Mike says he has not talked to them at all, then, like, we can't, like, it's not his fault. So, or we'll watch, or I'll watch the rest of Paradise, and if Mike, like, happens to be with someone, then he's, like, out of the running, technically, but... I don't know. Like, I would have understood if they made it Tyler C. Like, at least Tyler C. had, like, a following and, like, people interested in him and he was second place. And, like, there are multiple factors that, like, make Tyler C. ten times more eligible than Peter. But, like, the whole Gigi Hadid thing, like, I guess took him out of the running, like, fine. But, ugh. It's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate that the powers that be will not let a person who is not white and upper middle class be a lead on the show. Alright, that's it. Bye.